0: evening, church family. You know, I pointed out to Brad that he got 45 minutes this morning to talk about the resurrection of one man. I get about 15 minutes to talk about the resurrection of every single Christian. So, bear with me. Um, now, that sounds like a complaint, but I think that prioritization is actually correct, as we'll see tonight. Um, a man named Ian Murray wrote about 20 years ago that at every point in Christian life and labor... It is a certainty of what is future, which is to govern the present. I think all people intuitively live that way, whether they're Christians or not. Whatever you believe about your future will shape how you live today. So, my wife and I were expecting another baby girl in eight weeks, and you better believe that shapes how we live today. Some of you this spring are preparing maybe to graduate, Lord willing. That's going to shape how you live today. Some of you may be preparing to retire. Or maybe, sadly, preparing for the death of a loved one soon. Or potentially preparing for your own death soon. Now, while some of those are unique, that last one is common to all of us, as we thought about this morning. Death is common to all of us in our future, if if Christ doesn't come first. But in our future, back to that quote, in our future, as we look ahead, is there anything uniquely Christian about our future that should shape our lives today? Now, what is certain about our future as Christians, and how should that shape our lives today? I think Isaiah can help us answer that question as you turn to our text this evening, Isaiah twenty six nineteen, in your Bibles or in those handouts that you received. I'll just set up some context. Isaiah was raised up by God in the kingdom of Judah to declare God's judgment for his people, for their idolatry, for their unfaithfulness. But thankfully, God also raised up Isaiah to declare his salvation that would come through a coming Messiah. And while waiting for that Messiah, almost 700 years in the future from Isaiah's time, he actually ministered and prophesied through the reigns of four different kings. On our book, Isaiah chapters 24 through 27, they switch between present and future events to describe the final peace that's going to come for God's people. We get passages that teach us about death being swallowed up forever, about the great serpent finally being destroyed. These are memorable passages we can come back to. But specifically chapter 26, it answers the question of how that final peace will be secured. It will be by God's power alone. And as we zoom into just our verse, our one verse, 2619, Isaiah addresses God and God's chosen people, describing something miraculous about this final peace. So read with me now in Isaiah 26, verse 19. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Let's read that again. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. So church, I, I want you to walk away from this evening with one mission from this text. That's to live today in certain hope of eternal life with God. Live today in certain hope of eternal life with God. As Mark chapter 16 helped us this morning reflect on how Christ's resurrection in the past should affect our lives today, and it should Isaiah twenty six nineteen should help us discern some ways that our own resurrection, in the future, can affect our lives today. For the rigorous note-takers, I have no points. I just have some observations as we go through the, the verse. Um, but they should all feed into that main idea, live today in certain hope of eternal life with God. So let's walk through the verse, really just line by line. And I have to stop as we get to the first word. We can't get through the first word without seeing a distinction being made. Isaiah is addressing God, referring to your dead. The distinction there between those who belong to God intimately and those who don't. Daniel twelve two, another prophet, refers to this event and says that some will be raised to everlasting life. Some will be raised to everlasting life. And then some will be raised to everlasting contempt and shame. So to be crystal clear, if you don't belong to the Lord God, if you don't belong to him, then all the glorious truths following this first word don't belong to you. That's that's bad news. But how can you belong to God? I'm glad you're here tonight. It's Easter Sunday. I'm glad you're hearing this message because the only way that you can belong to God is by trusting in Christ for your salvation. His life, his death, and yes, his resurrection that we thought about this morning. You can belong to God by turning away from sin and trusting Christ as your Savior. Because ultimately on that last day, in the face of the perfect holy God who made you, sin will only earn you punishment, shame, contempt. It offers fleeting pleasures right now, but that's what it will give you. Even yet, while we were still sinners, condemned to death, condemned to death, earning ourselves death every day, Jesus Christ came to suffer that same punishment, shame, and contempt that we deserve, and then rise again to new life so that we could rise with him if we trust him as our Lord. You can do this now. I would say that Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, calls you to do it now. You haven't already. He is the resurrection and the life. Now, okay, that's one word in. Let's, let's reflect on the rest of the verse. For all, those, all of us here that do belong to God, who have done that, counted among your dead, first thing we can notice, just those first few words, is that our resurrection will be bodily. Those who can be physical. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. Those who've been born again spiritually now will be born again physically in resurrected bodies on that last day. Just as God's son came in a a physical body, he literally did die on a cross. And he bodily rose to new life, so we will be in God's presence bodily. Maybe that should strike us as remarkable. This Christian belief of the final resurrection, it it may be new to you, but it's not new to Christians. This is uh, consistent from Isaiah 26 all the way to 1 Corinthians 15, down beyond the New Testament into the Apostles' Creed, and even our own church's statement of faith. You can look it up. We believe this it's going to be bodily. So God cares about our souls, yes, but not just our souls. He does care about our bodies. And how should we live today in light of that hope? How should we live today in light of that? First, I think we don't have to finally despair when our bodies fail us. When our bodies are weak and they fail us, we don't have to despair because ultimately no disease or aging or mental or physical disability Or blindness or deafness or cancer or COVID can keep us from the final redemption of our bodies. God will do that. None of these things, if we're in Christ, will keep us from that. Paul understood this in Romans 8, familiar passage. But Paul understood this when he's talking about our inward groaning, our eager waiting. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the quote, the redemption of our bodies. That's what he's hoping for. So we don't need to despair when these temporary afflictions come. A great redemption is coming, UBC, because we have a great redeemer. I think, second, we could just notice that God cares for our bodies better than anyone in this life. So, not all of us have suffered failure or weakness of our bodies. Um, some of us have. And I would say that some of us in this congregation have suffered not only failure and weakness of our bodies, but the mishandling and abuse of our bodies. Some of them may have suffered violence. I would just say to you that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. On that day, he will wipe every tear from our real physical eyes. No matter what we've suffered, God will delight to redeem your body from sin that you may have endured. I'd love to talk more with you about that. Because your Lord Jesus was abused and afflicted, his body was beaten for you to the point of death— And because he rose victoriously out of the grave, so we will rise victoriously to meet him. We'll be with him. Now, what will that be like? Let's just keep going in the verse. What will that be like? The next line we read Isaiah commanding, not just suggesting, but commanding, you who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Second thing we notice, though, is our our resurrection will be boisterous, it's going to be joyful. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be happy. It's going to be joyful, and we will sing with joy because we see Christ. He will draw out our praise. We're going to be singing with gladness because we're standing before the very source of our gladness. So how should we live today in light of that hope? Well, of everything described in this verse, I don't know about you, I can't raise myself from the dead. I can't... Uh, We'll get into dew of light and the morning dew, all that. I can't do anything in this verse. None of us can do anything in this verse other than this line. We can sing now in light of the hope that we will sing with joy one day. Not only we can, we should. We should sing with joy now. If his his praises will be on our lips in the future, why shouldn't they be on our lips today, tomorrow, every single day until Christ comes? And even further, if we're going to rise from the dust. You know, we are those who dwell among the dust. And we will die. We will dwell among the dust. We dwell among the dust now in our circumstances. If we will rise from graves to sing, we can rise by God's grace from any circumstance in our life now with joy by God's grace to sing. We can do that no matter our circumstances if we're going to do that one day from graves. You know, Singing is our, our kind of victory cry over death. It's our victory cry over death. So I would say don't mumble your way through songs as I often am tempted to do, just kind of muttering your way through, but sing the most important truth you can. Sing your victory over death because of Christ's victory over death. Physically, use your mouth, your lips, your vocal cords, your lungs to actually fight the lies of Satan. Fight the lies of sin. Fight the lies of death that surround us. So sing with joy with the congregation. Sing biblical truth to yourself when you're not sure what to pray. Sing with your families, with your roommates. I wonder if you noticed tonight, we already sung of this hope that that we're waiting for. Christ in power resurrected, as we will be when he comes. Notice in a few moments, we're going to be singing of being raised with him to endless life. We can sing now of that because we're certain it'll happen. But how exactly will this happen? How exactly? Just continue that, those lines. And the rest of the verse helps us notice one more thing about a resurrection. And it's going to be by God's power alone. We won't do it. It'll be by God's power alone. For your due is a due of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. That phrase about due may cause some confusion. Well, I would say just as farmers here in Arkansas eagerly wait for rain to revive their crops, so people in Israel and Isaiah's day would wait for the winds from the sea to bring the morning dew. Moisture would start accumulating in the dark hours of the night. And then behold, when you wake up in the light of the morning, the plants of the field would thrive with new life. It's this picture of resurrection. Genesis 2 tells us of God watering the fields of the earth with this dew-like mist before he brought man out of the dust. Hosea 14.5, God is described as the dew to Israel. He describes himself that way. Now Isaiah's description of dew inevitably leads to this birth language. It's a striking description, the earth giving birth to the dead. I was dumbfounded when I first read this verse several years ago. I, I read this and I was confused, but really those two things go together. Contrary, Uh, to what the world would have you believe, you can't bring yourself to new life. It will be done for you. None of us gave birth to ourselves. None of us brought ourselves into the world. And none of us will bring ourselves into this second life with Christ, this resurrected life. So how should we live today in light of this hope? I think if our resurrection will be by the power of God alone, that should remind us right now today that our salvation was also by God's power alone. We were saved by God, from God's wrath, for God, and we now walk by the power of God. One day we will rise to meet God by his power alone, and we can rest in that, but we should also fight in that power. In the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, we can fight for holiness. We have that spirit now, and we can fight for holiness while we rest in God's power. It's not our own doing that's going to make these things happen, but it's It's God's Spirit who rose Christ from the dead and is going to do the same for us. For all those who belong to God in Christ, our resurrection is going to be bodily. It's going to be boisterous and joyful and loud with singing. And it's going to be by God's power alone, not our own. That's our future. It's certain. It is certain for all those in Christ. I think Ian Murray was right. I think he was right that at every point in Christian life and labor, every point, it's the certainty of what is future, which is to govern the present. So in light of all we've seen from Isaiah twenty-six nineteen, we should live today in certain hope of eternal life with God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we give you praise. We sing for joy now in these failing, broken bodies because we trust that your Son's resurrection was for our salvation.